0: Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Now, for those of you whose Bibles automatically fall open to Mark chapter 11, I said Luke chapter 11. I want to talk to you about something tonight that um, uh, an experience that I had this week that the Lord has really been dealing with me about. Uh, Luke chapter 11, we'll begin in verse 1. And it said, And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I want you to notice something, folks. How do I say this? Um, Well, I'm just going to come out and say it. The Bible example is that people that pray ought to be the ones to teach to pray. you got a lot of people in the church world that teach and talk about prayer. I think you got a lot fewer ones that really pray. But the disciples recognized that Jesus' prayer life was something that they wanted a part of. Now, I don't know what they saw. I don't know what they experienced. I don't know what the, the reason for that is. I can't uh, accept just at face value that they're, they're thinking, well, John taught his disciples to pray, and so Jesus is on an even par with John, so Lord, teach us to pray too. I, I, I just have a hard time with that idea. I believe that they saw something in Jesus through his prayer life that they wanted a part of. I think that's especially true for us as parents. Don't expect your kids to learn to pray if they don't see you pray. We have to be examples of what we want our kids to be. Well, enough on parenting. Jesus said unto them verse two, and he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in earth, so in heaven. Give us this day, give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, at that point, Jesus is, is giving what the church world calls the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. Jesus said to them, when you pray, pray this. But notice there are certain things that are missing in that prayer, which tells us that it's not a prayer for today. Now, I know it's a, a sacred thing for a lot of churches and a lot of church groups and denominations and that kind of thing. But Jesus said, in the day that we live in, the day that's coming, To pray to the Father, not to pray to Jesus, but to pray to the Father in his name. Well, the name of Jesus is not in the so-called Lord's Prayer. So even though there's some ideal and wonderful principles for us to take from it, it's not a prayer for today. Not only that, but Jesus said, told them, when you pray, say this. The Bible tells us not to pray ritual prayers. In other words, it shouldn't be prayer. Our prayer life should not be something that we say the same words again and again and again. Because if you do that, you get to where you're not even thinking about what you're saying. You're just used to saying it and it just comes out. So even the the principle of what Jesus gave them and the way that he gave gave it to them is not a prayer for today. But the important thing is what Jesus is going to teach them about prayer in general from that point forward. Verse 5, and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. So notice what he's talking about. He's talking about petitioning somebody or requesting, making a request of somebody as a type of prayer. Now, he's not saying God's like the friend that you go to in the night. He's just using an example to teach a truth or a principle about prayer because that's what they're interested in, right? So don't get to thinking the guy behind the locked doors is like God. That's not what he's saying. So we'll start again, verse 5. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For, there's a reason, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Now let me stop right there long enough to, to, to point out that that's the way that a lot of people think prayer is like what prayer is like when you're talking to God. The God's sitting in heaven saying, well, I really don't want to bother with you. And here's a lot of reasons why not. The church has even developed a, um, uh, the modern day church has even developed a, a principle about God and, and answered prayer. They, I grew up in the church where they said God sometimes answers yes, sometimes answers no, and sometimes says wait. Well, two out of three are not good. But they didn't even get that percentage of prayers answered. And so it leaves you, at least as a child, left me with the idea that God really didn't want to answer my prayer. Prayer was something that I wanted to do because I needed stuff from God. But it's not something he was really interested in. That's not what Jesus is teaching here, folks. Jesus is showing how to get results from God in prayer. That's the principle that he's trying to cover. And that's all he's trying to teach. Don't read anything else into it. So we'll start again. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut. It's too late, in other words. My children are with me in bed. Everybody's in bed. Reason number two. And I cannot rise and give thee. Well, he can. He just won't. I say unto you, Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, verse 9, ask and it shall be given unto you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now there's a problem with this Prayer in this passage of Scripture for faith people, because the words that are used, the tenses, and the the um, um, the, ty- the forms of the words that are used show that it's saying, "Ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and see- keep on seeking." Well, that's contrary to what the Bible says about the prayer of faith. I mean, we quote Smith Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth says if you pray nine times or ten times about any one thing, you've prayed nine times in unbelief. The prayer of faith prays once and then thanks God for the answer. So how do we, get, how do we rectify How do we um, uh, bring these things together with a clear understanding? This is one thing that uh, when I was in Bible school, there was a, uh, a fellow that was, he was in Bible school, but he didn't accept what was being taught. And boy, I mean, he tried to argue with everything and everybody, and he would always use this verse of Scripture." Well, see, the Bible doesn't say ask one time. It says ask and keep on asking. Well, folks, isn't that the way the church normally prays? We should probably even change that from asking, keep on asking to beg and keep on begging. Isn't that the way the church world normally prays? Isn't that the way most of the people you know pray? Does that work? Never worked in the church that I grew up in. What is it saying? Well, let's back up to verse 8 again. Jesus said, Though he will not rise and give him because of his friends, Because he is his friend. Notice what he says. He says in the example that he's using, the illustration that he's using, it's not based on relationship. Answered prayer or answered request is not based on relationship. Though he will not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet because of his importunity, his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now what is this importunity? If the the request is not answered, granted because of the relationship then what is it based on what does he get his answer because of because of this thing called importunity this thing called importunity this thing called importunity has got to be the importunity of faith because there's no way if this is supposed to relate in any way whatsoever to prayer and relate any way whatsoever with God the Bible says it's impossible to receive anything from God without faith so if we're going to apply this then we have to apply this in, a, in the means or in a, a context where it includes faith. Because the Bible says, real clear, the Bible's real clear and says you can't receive anything from God without faith. It's impossible. You just can't do it. So, whatever this opportunity is, it's got to be a characteristic or connected to in some way with faith. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? But well, since we know that the prayer of faith doesn't beg and keep on begging then that can't be it so what is it this word importunity means persistence of faith it comes from the Greek word boldness the new English Bible translates this this way though he will not rise and give him because of his friend yet because of the shamelessness of his request he will give him anything he needs the shamelessness of his request there is a shamelessness to the operation of faith. Let me tell you this. I had one of the best weeks I've ever had in my life. It start off so great. Uh, Monday, I met somebody from the church for lunch. They picked a place to eat. I didn't really want to go there. don't like that place anyway. But I wound up getting food poisoning at lunch. Worse than I've ever had in my life. I mean, within 30 minutes of eating, I went back to the office and I'm thinking, I'm in trouble. I'm going to have to believe God just to get home. I've never had anything hit me that fast. I've had food poisoning before, but man, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks within 30 minutes. I believed God to get home. Started, I began instantly claiming my healing and saying what the Bible says about being healed by the stripes of Jesus and so forth. Thank God for supernatural recovery. And as soon as I got home, I mean, I'm stripping clothes off as my, uh, on, with every step on the way to the uh, the bedroom. By the time I got to the bedroom, I went to the bathroom and started throwing up violently more violently than i've ever thrown up in my life i mean it was an experience i do not want again i'm claiming the promises of god i'm confessing the word between heaves if i can say it that way i don't want to be grossly graphic but i it didn't have a time to affect me in any other way but man i mean it's coming and i'm believing god for more to come i'm sitting there and saying come out in the name of jesus i realize this you know I'm not going to be able to cohabit with this thing effectively. And so for the next, oh, I don't know, uh, four or five hours maybe, I threw up everything that my body ever even thought about having on the inside of it. (laughs) I'd get um, uh, just fits, momentary fits of sleep in between when I'd feel the strength to get back to the the bed. And, you know, you wake up and then you're, you know, uh uh-oh, can I make it kind of thing so you get back. And so it's just a real restless situation. Uh, Beth wanted to take me to the hospital. She went to the, to the Internet. And, of course, the Internet's got all the answers. And uh, she said uh, that she found on there that if something hits you that fast, then it can possibly be serious. And so she said, you know, I, I think we ought to take you to the emergency room. And I said, I really don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But I do care about sitting in the waiting room and not being able to get somewhere where I can have some relief. And I know that's what they're going to do. They're going to think oh, food poisoning. Well, we'll set him off to the side and deal with people that are really sick, you know, type thing. And I said I'm just not willing to go sit in a waiting room where I can't get to the toilet or somewhere, you know. And uh, so, so she relented, and, and uh, this thing continued. So for uh, Monday night, uh, I would be able to, to sleep for 15, maybe 20 minutes at a time because the the throwing up was so violent, it. Pulled every muscle I had on the inside, and so I could not find a position that I could get comfortable enough. After about ten minutes of, of um, fitful sleep, or, um, you know, I'd wake up and hurt and have to change positions, and then let it subside, let, let the pain subside, and then you get another ten minutes of sleep. So it was like that all night long. So Tuesday I was pretty much in a vegetative state. I wasn't throwing up anymore, but I was as weak as a kitten. Spent all day long, you know, with this ten to fifteen minutes at a time. Stretch, hadn't slept much the night before, and just confessing the word every time I could get my mouth open and and uh, uh, saying what God's word says about supernatural recovery. Thank you, Father, that I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus and so forth, doing everything I knew to do. Wednesday comes along, and I'm a lot better. I am uh, still weak as a kitten. I'm so sore on the inside, I can't hardly move. and But I made it downstairs and sat upright and, and that type of thing and felt like, a million bucks compared to what I'd felt like the day before and Monday afternoon and so forth. So I'm walking gingerly in the downstairs hallway and there's a sock on the floor. Now socks in my house are strange things. They appear out of nowhere. Many times it's the dogs that get into the laundry basket and they, you know, come out and they found a prize or something like that. Sometimes it's Somebody trying to carry a load either to or from the the laundry room, you know, too big and drop something on the way. And that's what I assumed it was because it was right outside the laundry room door. So I, weak and taking care of myself, trying to take care of myself, spread my legs out. And instead of bending over at the waist, I kind of squatted down a little bit to pick this thing up. Well, when I came up, something popped in my hip, my right hip. And I mean to tell you I've never had such pain in all of my life folks, let me tell you something. If you had not figured this out, the devil does not play fair. He waits and gets you at your lowest moment, and then he piles on. I, I realized, I mean, I could not put any weight on the foot. The sock felt like it weighed a ton. I dropped it back where I found it, grabbed hold of the counter, and again, I'm immediately claiming God's promises and God's word concerning healing. I stood there for about... Five minutes hobbling on my left leg, trying to put some weight, trying to test different things out. Nothing's working it's pain like it's severe pain and so after about five minutes, that the, me speaking to my leg and claiming the promises of God, that brought the dogs we 've got medium sized dogs, and the last thing I need is I need one of these guys to bump me, so I 'm trying to tell the dogs, "Go away, go away well, that now they think we're playing. So it's just a comedy of errors. I mean, it's just one thing after another. So I'm standing there, and, and uh, uh, finally the dogs got tired of me not playing very well, and, and uh, so they walked away. And so I'm standing there. I, I've been standing now for five, maybe eight minutes, and I got the idea, and I don't know why I thought this. I don't know what I thought it would help, but I thought, I've got to get upstairs. Well, how am I going to get upstairs? I mean, I'm, the only way I'm able to stand at all is I've got... My, my weight on the on my left leg and on the counter well I worked my way up these stairs holding on to the rail and then once I got to the top of the stairs either leaning on the wall or moving from piece of furniture to piece of furniture to where I got in the bathroom then I get in the bathroom and I think why did I come up here because there's nothing there to help me whatsoever. But there was one thing, and that was there's a um, uh, we our, our tub is kind of a, got an enclosure, built-in enclosure around it, and it's about this high. And so I thought, well, all right, let me get my leg up here, and I'll put my leg on top of this thing, and maybe I can stretch a little bit. And uh, uh, I tried to move my leg, and nothing. I mean, I've got less response in my leg than I had downstairs. Just in the few moments, of, you know, a minute or two that it took me to get upstairs. And so I'm standing there and I reach down with one leg. I'm um, um, balancing on the sink, the counter. And I reach down with my, my right hand and I grab my leg underneath and pick it up like a stick of cordwood. Because there is no movement, there is no, there's nothing but pain. That's all I've got going on is pain. So I finally got it and plopped it up there on top of that uh, tub enclosure. That hurts. So it hurts if it's down. It hurts if it's up. I've got no relief. I've got nothing I can do. I can't put any weight on it. I can't move. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, I just prayed. And I said, it was kind of a mixture of prayer and confession, prayer and, and using the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, I need help, and I need it right now. I need this leg to be healed, and I need it instantly. I need a miracle. And then I spoke to my leg, and I said, leg, in the name of Jesus, you stop hurting Whatever is causing this pain, be undone in the name of Jesus. And folks, I'm here to tell you, I got an instant miracle. It wasn't something, now please wait a minute, listen to it. It's, you know, I'm, I'm glad it doesn't hurt too, but that's not the point. The point is I want you to hear this in relation to what Jesus is teaching us about prayer. I didn't stop to think, well, do I really need a miracle? You know, maybe it's this. Maybe it's just a pinched nerve. Well, maybe it was just a pinched nerve, but it came unpinched as soon as I spoke to my leg. Well, but Pastor Mike, maybe that was just a coincidence. Maybe so. But it seems that I have a lot of coincidences where the Bible works just the way that it says that it will. So I don't care what you call it. I know what happened for me. And you know what was funny about the thing is instantly it stopped hurting and I, my body and my mind didn't trust it. I pulled my leg down off that enclosure and I'm I'm still hobbling. It doesn't hurt. I don't feel a thing, but I'm still hobbling around on it. I'm thinking, why am I hobbling? I'm expecting it to keep hurting. My mind is expecting it to hurt. But the pain was gone. I haven't had a lick of pain for the next 10 minutes. I'm kind of limping around the house, testing it, trying it out. And I hadn't had an instant of pain since that point. Now, let me ask you a question. Why does faith work differently in one area or concerning one thing than it does another? In other words, I'm asking this. Why don't I get instant results to everything? See, those are the thoughts that the devil wants to bring. And and I'm not saying that they're wrong to consider. I'm okay with any question whether the devil asks it or God asks it. I don't care what the question is because the Bible's got the answers. But that's the key is find the Bible answer. Why do some things take longer than others? See, the devil in the past has told me, well, you don't have miracle faith. Well, he can't tell me that now. I had one. Well, if you got a miracle with your leg, with your hip, why don't you get a miracle with the shaking thing in your hand? If somebody's got an answer for that, I'm all ears. And see, the devil always wants to make you think there's something wrong with you. But if your faith is working in any area, faith always works the same in every respect. Just because you can see one result of your faith, the action of your faith, the operation of your faith in one certain area of your life, does not mean that that's the only area that's working. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 11. Jesus said in verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as much as he needs. The complete Jewish Bible, I like that. I found it interesting. The complete Jewish Bible on this verse says because of his chutzpah, he'll get whatever he asks for. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now folks, I want to point something out to you on this. The story that Jesus tells. Now I know we can read in a lot of details in there that, that, that aren't there. And it, most of us do that when we read through it. The story that Jesus tells is very clear and very succinct, distinct about it in one thing. The guy comes and asks once. After that. The only guy that's troubled is the guy on the inside. It doesn't say that when the guy says it's too late, I can't help, the guy asks again, says, no, 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 you got to help me, we're friends. After the guy says, my children are in bed with me, he says, well, that doesn't matter, they can go back to bed. Children sleep through all kinds of stuff. But see, we read that kind of uh, detail into the story. Like some way or another, the guy is pounding on the door. And he won't give up. And he's pounding, he's pounding, he's pounding. That's not what the story says. Now, maybe that's what Jesus meant, and it just didn't come through in the translation, but that's not what the story said. The story says the man asks for the loaves that he needs for his friend. After that, everything is on the guy in response, not the guy that asks. He's standing there with the boldness, the shamelessness of request, expecting the result the guy finally answers now he says jesus said this didn't happen because of the relationship they had it had it happened because of his importunity his shamelessness of requests i think it had personally i think it had more to do with the jewish custom of hospitality than it did anything else but jesus goes on to say the principle of faith that he wants us to get is very simply this i say unto you ask and it shall be given unto you Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For to everyone that asketh, receiveth; And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh shall be opened. Now, he's talking about the same thing. He hadn't changed subjects. He's still talking about prayer. And he shows how our prayer is different from the story that he just gave. Verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father. Well, that's a different relationship than he talked about. In fact, he said the story that he just gave wasn't answered. The answer, the request wasn't answered because of the relationship now he's going to talk about something that is based on relationship if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is father will he give him a stone well we know the answer to that a good father would never do that or if he asks for a fish will he for a fish or instead of a fish give him a serpent good parents don't do that or if he shall ask an egg will he instead of an egg offer him a scorpion of course not parents don't do that when they love their kids if you then, being evil, the word evil just simply means carnal, natural human beings. In other words, if you know well enough to know not to do that for your kids, give them something that could hurt them when they ask for something else. If you know enough not to do that and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Now, folks. Um, Matthew's account of this doesn't say give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. He says give good things to them that ask Him. But you can't get any better thing than the Holy Ghost from God. There's nothing. There's no greater gift than you can get. Now, this word ask is interesting because most of the time, whenever we see the word ask in the Bible, we think in English terms. And ask always means request. Very, very seldom did Jesus ever talk about asking in request when he used the word ask the word that's translated ask most often is the word that means call for require make a demand on so you need to understand something and and please don't take this out of out of its setting i'm not saying anything to take away from reverence with god or relationship with god because the greatest relationship you can have with god is through his word the greatest relationship you can have as an adult child of god son or daughter with god is to understand your authority and what he's given you through his word and through the finished work of jesus the idea that we're supposed to go through life and every day have this baby-like dependence on god rather than recognize that he's given us the word to make a way in our own lives and in our own situations is just foolish it's denominationalism it's it's a childhood state of christianity that's not the way God wants it to be. In fact, Paul wrote to us by the Holy Ghost and said, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. Well, how many babies are strong in their, in their relationship with their parents? None. They don't know enough. They haven't learned enough. They're not experienced enough to know who they are and what belongs to them. It takes them growing up first. But that's the growing up God wants us to do. So don't think that I'm taking anything away from the reverence of God or respect from God or whatever. But instead, I'm talking about asking in our prayer life should be as much in making a demand on what we know the Bible says God has already provided for us as it is a request for God to do something that we don't know about now there's some things you're not going to know you're not going to know the future the Holy Ghost might show you a few things to come but even the things that he shows you are incomplete so there may be things that you're not going to know what God's plan is for you and its completeness like, Lord, should I, should I move to another state? Lord, should I change this place of ministry to another place of ministry? Lord, what should I do? You know that, I don't know that. That's going to be something that I'm going to have to request information about. But I don't have to request information about what I know God has given me to do, do I? I mean, if I, if I lack wisdom to know how to do it, I can ask in faith for that and expect God to give it to me. But for the things that the Bible says God has already provided for, I don't have to ask him about that. I don't have to ask him if he wants me well. The Bible says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. So to request prayer or request healing in that context would be foolish, wouldn't it? That'd be like somebody asking for salvation if they didn't know it belonged to them. Well, once you know it belongs to you, you don't have to ask anymore. And the answer is always in the Word. Folks, I'm here to tell you that it's the shamelessness of requests that pleases God. It's the shamelessness of request that is the basis for most of our prayers being answered. Now, you can't be shameless in your request unless you know what belongs to you. I mean, to do otherwise would just be foolish. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are a lot of people that would ask for the moon. But there's no, there's no foundation for it. There's no basis for it. They're just talking and don't believe the words they're, they're saying. They don't believe God would hear the words that they're asking for or the, the things that they're asking for or anything else. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a boldness. I'm talking about a boldness. For example, turn with me over to Acts chapter 4. Let's look at a couple of examples with this. I don't want to take a long time with this, but I want to give you a couple of examples perhaps. Acts chapter 4 tells the story of how the, the disciples, Peter and John, were taken into custody by the um, Jewish council because of the, the healing event that took place in chapter 3 of Acts. Acts chapter 3 tells us how they went to the temple at a certain time and they went to the beautiful gate and there was a crippled man that was always laid there. That was his begging spot. And he asked for an alms, and Peter and John looked on, looked on him, fastened their eyes on him, and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Took him by the hand, lifting him up, and his, his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaped and walked and praised God. Everybody saw it. Peter and John preached a little bit about what happened in the name of Jesus that, that caused this miracle, healing miracle. And 5,000 people get saved. Well, it creates a big stir. Ever, nearly everybody, perhaps everybody, in the temple is now talking about Jesus. And so it creates a big stir and it, it, it disrupts the, um, uh, the order of the temple worship and the things that are normally done there. So Peter and John are taken into custody and um, uh, brought before the council. They're questioned. they said, by what power, what name did you do this? And they said, by the name of Jesus, the one you crucified, the one that God raised from the dead. He's the one that did this, this work. And so they go through this this whole thing about whether or not uh, what they're going to do to them, and so they wind up threatening them not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And um, we'll pick up in verse 23, Acts 4, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, meaning the whole company that they went to, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Now let me stop here long enough and say, who led this prayer? I mean this is a great prayer it gets a great answer so if somebody's leading in prayer then shouldn't we know who it is but in fact the bible says they lifted up their voice to god with one accord and said in other words it's the holy ghost saying here's what they said well how does everybody know to say the same thing they're in one accord meaning they're saying the same thing how is it that they know to say the same thing Folks, I've got news for you. And, and if there's another explanation for this, I'm all ears. Tell me what it is. But there's only one explanation that I can come up with that's scriptural. And that is, this is what the Holy Ghost heard them praying in other tongues. Here's what they were praying as inspired by the Holy Ghost to say in other tongues. Did they know this is what they're saying? Apparently not. At least not part of it. There may have been part of it where somebody led a certain... Degree of it, but if they're all praying this together, then they've got to be praying in other tongues. So they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now if somebody is leading that in their known language, which I guess in their day would be Greek, somebody's pretty smart. So we know it's not Peter. We know it's not John. Because the council has just taken notice of the fact that Peter and John were ignorant and unlearned men. And besides that, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. How does Luke know that's what they prayed? Where does he get this information? Well, it's got to come by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost or else we're believing a book that's not God-inspired. So if it's the Holy Ghost telling them this is what they prayed, how does the Holy Ghost know this is what they prayed? Because this is what he heard them pray when they were praying under his influence in other tongues. Folks, if God keeps a record, and I think, there, I think there's a good chance at least that he does. From some things that the Bible says about in uh, other respects concerning prayer. If God keeps a record of your prayers, if you spend any time at all speaking in other tongues, you're going to be amazed at what you prayed. We should give a lot more, we mean the church world at large, should give a lot more importance to speaking in other tongues than what we do. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Notice what the Holy Ghost inspires them to ask for. Again, I believe it's in other tongues, but you decide for yourself. Notice what they're inspired by the Holy Ghost to ask for, to pray for after having been bold enough to get a guy healed in the gate of the temple, right there on the public square, concourse, so to speak, and preach a public service and get 5,000 people saved. That sounds to me like they were pretty bold. On top of that, they just accused the council of being the ones that were responsible for Jesus' death. I wouldn't think boldness would be the problem, or lack of boldness would be the problem. But I don't think the Holy Ghost will ever stop impressing us to seek to be bolder. I think there's a lot of things that we're going to find out when we get to heaven. I think a lot of things that we've got questions about, God, why didn't you do this? He's going to turn around and ask us, why weren't you bold? Lord, why didn't you heal like we see in the book of Acts? Why weren't you bold to speak the name? Wait a minute, Lord, you mean if we would just spoken the name, you'd have done it? Well, duh. It's kind of what Jesus said it would work like, isn't it? Lord, behold the threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, what kind of boldness are they looking for? They're very specific as inspired by the Holy Ghost. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Now, folks, if this is a God-inspired prayer, If this is a prayer they're praying by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in other tongues. Then we have to conclude that this is the kind of prayer that God wants us to pray. This is the kind of prayer that pleases God. This is the kind of prayer that God's looking for. Turn with me me over to Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, wait a minute. I can't leave there yet we got to talk about the results of the prayer. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Then talks about the miracles that are done in Jerusalem as a result. Sounds like a good answer to prayer to me. What about you? Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, let's, see the, let's start reading in verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Notice he's saying, since we have a great high priest, stick to what you're saying. Stick to confessing the word. Profession and confession are identical words in the New Testament. Because we have a high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who's sitting at the right hand of God in the heavenlies. Then stick to speaking the word. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now what is the. the, uh, What circumstances do we experience. Or what, what is our experience. Where the devil tries to change what we say. Isn't it always adverse circumstances. I mean, has has the devil ever come to you and said, boy, things are working great. You can let up on that confession stuff. The only time that I've ever had him try to influence my speech, try to distract me or dissuade me from speaking the word is trying to point out through circumstance how it appears to not be working. Now, once you figure out what he's doing, then that's the point where you can double down. And just increase it and really put him on the run. But before you learn that, it's kind of like, well, it doesn't look like it's working, does it? He always uses circumstances. He always uses thoughts surrounding circumstances to try to get you to change what you speak. Because your words govern your life. If God's words governed our lives, then everything in the word of God would automatically come to pass on our behalf. But it doesn't. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to receive from God. It takes faith on your part. Faith is believing in the heart and speaking with the mouth. So your confession determines what of the blessings of God will be realized in your life. So notice what he's talking about. He's talking about holding fast your confession, resisting the temptation to change what you say. Because we, don't, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. In other words, he's saying, hold fast the profession of your faith because Jesus knows what it is to be tempted to say something otherwise. He knows what it's like for things to delay. He knows what you're going through. Stick to your guns. To what end? Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly Under the throne of God or throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, folks, I'm not saying that these are the same words because they're not. But let me ask you a question: What's the difference in Hebrews four sixteen, where it says, "Come boldly to the throne of grace to get help and obtain mercy"? What's the difference in that and what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter eleven, where He says, "Through the shamelessness of His request, He gets His answer"? What's the difference? We'd be splitting hairs. To say there is one, wouldn't we? Isn't that what boldness is? It's a shameless request because you know who you're asking. It's a shameless request because you know who you're making your request of. And remember, that's how Jesus finished the story our relationship with God as a father. I think too often we cut ourselves short. Somebody told me a story the other day. I'll quit with this. Somebody told me a story the other day of of the job that they got some years ago. They've made a career out of it and been been very successful with it. But they told me a story about how they first got the job. And uh, the person that uh, interviewed them, spent a lot of time talking to them, had a similar background. Uh, They were from Rhema as well. And so when they saw that that was on this person's resume, that really piqued their interest and, and... was the reason that they called for a, an interview immediately, and uh, so they spent a lot of time talking talking about the job, talking about what they, what goals the individual had for their lives and uh, her, her life and and that kind of stuff and so after spending about i think she said over an hour and a half in this interview, the guy finally said well okay let me let me tell you you know about the job. What do you need to make and she said i said uh, uh, $12 an hour? He said, okay. Then immediately she started thinking, did I ask for enough? She asked him later, after she got settled into the job, had been there for some time, she asked him later, she said, you remember that day that you asked me how much did I want to make or need to make or whatever, however he said it? He said, oh, yeah. He, she said, what if I'd asked for 20? He said, I would have given it to you. She said, what if I'd asked for 25 He said, I'd have given it to you. She said, what do you mean? He said, I would have given you whatever you asked for because I knew you were the right person. She settled for 12 bucks an hour. What are we settling for? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about where the things of God and the blessings of God are concerned. You realize that Jesus purchased anything and everything that you could ever want or need. What are we settling for? What are we ashamed to ask for? One thing I found is that people that get big prayers answered pray big prayers. I've never found anybody that got a big prayer answered for a small prayer. And Jesus said, whatever you call for requiring my name, I'll do it. He didn't say the little stuff. Now let's don't get out of hand on this. In fact, he went further and said, What thing soever you ask in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. No qualification on it whatsoever. What are we settling for? I think most of us are living way below where we could in maybe a number of ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Father, that we can come boldly to you, to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, I thank you for the miracle that I got the other day. Where in the world would I be without that? But it came so easy, Lord. It came so easy. I didn't exercise any more faith for that. Maybe less than things that I believe you for every day. Help us to see just how great and wonderful and powerful you are. Help us to see just how great the power of the name of Jesus is within us so that we can live up to all the blessings that Jesus purchased for us. Lord, let it be said of us that we left not one thing unreceived. We left not one thing that Jesus purchased without taking hold of it. Teach us, Lord. Lord, Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. Let us be bold in prayer, bold to speak, bold to confess. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, did you get anything out of this tonight? Hopefully we set you to thinking at the very least. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed.